New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and we are continuing with our 2023 Women's World Cup preview, coverage, predictions, analysis, all that good stuff. We've done Group A, we've done Group B, which, by my knowledge of the alphabet, takes us to Group C, uh, Spain, Zambia, Costa Rica, and Japan. Here with me to preview those four teams are two gentlemen. The math adds up to three. Someone's double, doing double duty. Let's find out. Hello, Graham Ruthven. How are you, my friend? Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yes, I am. I, I drew the short straw today, but I am benefiting out of it because Andy Murray is playing a big tennis match later. I really want to watch that tennis la- match later. And so we're recording a little bit earlier. So uh, that was my end of the bargain. Yes, that was Graham's bargain. Joe Lowry. Joe, do you feel like we could have just asked Graham for anything and he would have agreed as long as it allowed him to watch Andy Murray play tennis? I feel like there was a real opportunity for us to yeah. get some like major yeah, right? equity in Graham's life. Maybe <laughs> exactly. like godparents of his child. I think we could have Ooh. done like a lot of really big time stuff and instead we just settled for him like taking one extra team in this group, yeah. a team that he already knew well. I feel like we really missed a chance to exploit our friend, you know? This is actually how I ended up, like, getting married in my 20s, having a child in my 20s, moving to the suburbs in my 20s. Like, I just got strong-armed into this. And what? I, what I got out of it was I got to watch Andy Murray at Wimbledon. <laughs> I, like that I like that your definition of strong-armed is you just sort of quickly agreeing to things so you can get back to watching the tennis. Yeah, yeah, all right, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but, Joe, you have raised the interesting question. Uh, Graham, like... I think I think Joe or I would make a very good godparent, even even if neither of us is prepared to guide the spiritual journey of your child. <laughs> I would lean towards Joe, though. I feel like Joe is the more responsible one to take over if something goes wrong. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and award it now, Joe. Congratulations! Wow, you you are now third in line. That's so that's right. amazing. On, I always thought on. Graham I always thought Graham would be the one to tell me that I'd been the godparent, but yeah, I, you got I appreciate you doing it. No, 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 no. No, I also, told him he could watch Andy Murray, so he's letting me do it. I also like how you recommended Joe as the godfather over mm-hmm. yourself, yeah, the actual, an actual father. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, there Yeah, you Joe go. Joe still feels more responsible to me. <laughs> Joe Joe feels like he will be at least timely in his gift giving. I'm gonna be erratic. I'm probably gonna forget a birthday or two. You guys had birthdays, right? Those have happened? Yeah, th- those have happened. Okay. Yeah, I, right, I, cool. I'll admit, I'm not a good gift giver. Uh, I really mm. struggle with what to get people. I struggle with doing it on time. That is an area where my responsibility lapses a bit, but I, I'm still thrilled to take on this responsibility, honored that Taylor has chosen me on Graham's behalf, yep. and just really you know, stoked Joe, for what's to come. Joe, it's okay. You can just get Sophie a, football, a new football shirt. 
every year, she'll she'll love that, and I won't intercept that at all. I promise. <laughs> Just make it in Graham size, and the team that Graham most. Can wants you do large? Yeah, she'll grow into it. She'll grow into it. Yeah, <laughs> men's large, please. <laughs> uh, well, while we await the uh, the postage and the shipping from Joe to Graham slash Sophie, uh, let's do some Group C previewing. Uh, as I said, the four teams in there: Spain, Zambia, Costa Rica, Japan. We've got our categories that we're going to run through. We've got nickname, TSS nickname, how they got here, slash any obvious big story, their coach and their tactics, and then some key players, maybe some omissions in there, and then we'll get to very specific predictions. Graham, why don't you start us off with Spain? Okay, so Spain go by the nickname La Roja, which translates as the red one. There isn't much to dig into here, Spain playing red, La Roja, that's it. As for my TSS nickname, my unofficial nickname for the tournament, how about the New France? Spain have so much quality, just like France tend to have at these sort of tournaments, these major tournaments, but there's a whole lot of other stuff going on with this team at the moment, which might see their dressing room explode during the tournament. And that is very French. That has been France the last couple major tournaments in 2019 and certainly at the last Euros. With Spain, turning it back to Spain, there is a lot to talk about with this team and this and this country in women's football at the moment uh, right now. We have spoken about the rising tide from European football for some time and Spain are a big driver behind that. They have a bit of a golden generation on their hands at the moment in terms of talent available to them. They have a growing domestic scene that now has uh, Barcelona as the, the current Champions League winners. They have made three finals in a row. They are a real dominant force in European women's football and they have a homegrown core. So obviously that's good news for the Spanish national team. You also have Real Madrid plowing money into their women's team. You have Atleti doing similar you have sold out matches at Camp Nou and at the Metropolitano. I'm not sure I've seen one at the Bernabeu yet. That might be down to the reconstruction, but I'm sure that is in the pipeline once that stadium is fully opening. So basically what I'm getting at is that Spain is now a real powerhouse of the women's game, which is a pretty drastic change since the last World Women's World Cup in, in 2019, when Spain did have quality, but you didn't really get the sense that they were the superpower that they are now. They only made the round of 16, obviously lost to the US in that tournament, were a little bit underwhelming. And I would say a lot has changed in, in the time since the last tournament for Spain. However, there is another story yeah. with Spain at the moment. Let's so, get to that, however. <laughs> yeah, qualifying went perfectly for Spain. They won all eight of their qualifiers. They sailed through to the World Cup. But this was amid real controversy around Jorge Vilda, who is the, the manager, and his continued employment as the national team manager. I know I'm sort of skipping ahead to the manager section of the preview, but this is the story so, of the Spain team ahead of this tournament. I can't really yeah. get around it. Yeah, Graham, I was going to say, we go for like like an, uh, an equal sharing of time. We want every team to get a good amount of minutes in this preview. But I do think it is worth pausing to spend some time on the situation with Spain because everything you've established, you've laid the groundwork really well of, of how strong they could be or should be and have been. But then the issues, I think, presented in the Federation and in the team itself, really, really fascinating yeah. and I think will be a huge part of this World Cup. So it's worth drilling into a bit uh, at any point you want to. Yeah, so last year we had the European Championships and Spain were one of the favourites for that tournament. The amount of talent that they had that I've just kind of mentioned and referenced there. 
The Euros didn't go so well for them. They get knocked out in the quarterfinals by England, who obviously go on to, to win it. But after the tournament, you have this bombshell where 15 players inform the Spanish Federation that they no longer want to play for the national team in protest at Jorge Vilda's management approach. And of those 15 players, you have a number of world-class players. You have Alexis Pateas, who is arguably the best player in the world at the moment. You have uh, Jennifer Hermoso was another one. Bon Mati, central midfielder, was 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 another one of those players. So these are these were key figures for this Spain team. Some of the best players in the world. Somewhat bizarrely, in kind of doing my research for this, I I discovered. I'm not sure if I knew this at the time or or whether this is a new discovery for me. But the players refused to talk about the situation in in, in public, and in some instances, they denied that they had refused to play for Spain. So it was all a little bit weird. It wasn't really like the France rebellion, which we saw earlier this year against Corinne Diacre, where you had public statements by players like Wendy Renard and, and a number of other uh, high-profile players. This was a rebellion that was kind of played out behind closed doors, but you had the Spanish Federation um, making it public and saying that 15 players had refused to, to, to play for the national team. And lo and behold, the next time there were international windows, there was a whole bunch of world-class players missing from that roster. The Federation backed Jorge Vilda. He's still in charge for this World Cup. And some of the 15 players are back in the squad for the tournament. This is where it's a little bit difficult to work out which of those 15 players are back, which of those 15 players have been left out of the squad just because they weren't good enough to make the squad, because this is a very strong squad that they've taken to this tournament. I've read that some agreements have been reached with the RFEF, which is the the, the federation in, in Spain. I'm not sure how that relates to Jorge Vilda, because that seemed to be the main complaint that the players didn't like. Jorge Vilda still being in charge of the national team, which is a really interesting one because Jorge Vilda, as I'll, as I'll cover a little bit later on, he's come through the youth system with a lot of these Spanish players. He's the, the, the guy that brought them through the 17s and the 19s and then into the senior team. So you would expect there would be some form of relationship there with a lot of the key players, but somewhere along the line, that relationship has 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 broken down. We don't really know the specifics of what the players are unhappy with Vilda, Four, it's a little bit different to the Corinne Diacre case mm-hmm. where Wendy Renard spoke about her mental health and there are players that have spoken about how Diacre would essentially call them for 10 seconds and tell them that they were out the squad, they're not going for, to a tournament and then hang up the phone. I don't know if, if Vilda does that, but yeah, it feels like a very fragile situation between Vilda and, the, and, the, and the, his own Spanish squad ahead of this World Cup. So uh, I think you've covered it really well there, Graham. I, too, spent some time trying to figure out exactly what the issue was because we've had so many instances of players sort of quietly and then increasingly loudly talking about problems with their coaches. And recently it has been a lot of abuse allegations, a lot of them justified, a lot of them verified. Uh, And I sort of was wondering if that was the case or maybe assume that was the case. Vilda was asked about that directly because his uh, his predecessor, whose name I wrote down, Ignacio uh, Querejada, was the former manager of the Spanish national team. He was forced out in 2015 uh, due to abuse allegations or allegations that he was harassing players uh, and creating a very hostile environment in the team. Uh, Vilda was asked about that and vehemently rejected it, basically said there's no basis for that. I have no idea where any of that could come from if it were coming, but basically said it just seems like the players don't like my methods. And that 
is more or less what has been reported, that it's the training sessions are either, I couldn't get a read on if it, if it was they were too intense or not intense enough, or if it was the situation of a coach sort of doing the same drills over and over again and the players becoming dissatisfied. But it does sound like he was confused, the FA was confused, and then the players haven't really added a ton of clarity there. So it makes it really difficult to know exactly what the situation is which in my mind then makes it really difficult to know if the situation is resolved or if one thing goes wrong, is it all sort of going to blow up? Basically, is it a a harmonious ship or is it a ship yeah. sitting on a powder keg that could erupt? Yeah, exactly. That is the uncertainty around Spain at this tournament. They have the level of talent that maybe that doesn't matter. I still expect them to cruise through this group, even if they are in open rebellion in the dressing room against their manager, that's just how good they are. But once you get to the knockout rounds, that's maybe where... We spoke yesterday about Bayern and how Ireland have that with Vera Pau, incidentally, has her own allegations against her. Um, I'm not sure if there's the same level of Bayern and Jorge Vilda right now with Spain. Grim, how much do you think that... Does that impact Spain more than other teams, right? Because there are lots of issues, Taylor, you talked about with Nigeria yesterday on, mm-hmm. on the show with our Group B preview and some of the challenges there. Are there more or less factors at play here for a team like Spain that is undeniably talented? Like, you've you've detailed that already, and I know you'll do more of that later on. Like, do they have the players that can still carry them by if they're having you know trouble behind the scenes, when they're having trouble behind the scenes, or you know because of maybe how they play and the style that we know to yeah. expect from Spain? Is that something that you just sort of push the first domino over and the rest start to fall? I still think they're well-placed to essentially coast through a certain portion of this tournament. As I say, once you get to the knockout rounds, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. But those games would be difficult anyway, even if you did have buy-in with your your manager. I think a big part of that is down to how there is this Barcelona core within the Spain team. So I'll come on to the tactical stuff later on. And there's a lot of good tactical um, nuance with this, with this, uh, this Spain team, a lot of good tactical groundwork that's been put in. And it's difficult for me to distinguish whether that's a Jorge Vilda thing or whether that's a Barcelona thing, or even in, there's a there's a, a little Real Madrid core as well, whether that's a Real Madrid thing. These are teams that are operating at the highest level in, in European women's football, um, especially Barcelona, who obviously won the Women's Champions League this season. Um, so I think they will almost revert to what they know from their own relationships at club level. You know, having Bonmati and Alexis Putellas in central midfield, for example, will help them even if they're not there's not a connection with the manager. Um, so yeah, I think I think they're fortunate in that regard that this is also a team that despite the fact that's been completely fragmented for the last 12 months, this is still the, the team largely that played at the Euros as well last summer. And so there is a familiarity there. I'm still having a hard time believing that this isn't going to shake things up or cause problems at some point, just because, again, from what I've read, and maybe I've read the wrong stuff, but I don't think I have, uh, the players seem like they didn't want this to come out. It felt like they were basically just wanted a fresh start. They wanted a new manager, and then it leaked, and then there were reports, and then it kind of blew up from there. And so things haven't really changed. The manager's still there. You would assume the tactics are still the same. Maybe there've been some talks, maybe things have been improved, but it just feels to me, and maybe this is my own like ego and temperament coming in. It probably is. But if I'm a player who's sort of dissatisfied with the coach and was ready for a change, and then that change doesn't come, and now that coach is still there and you're going into another tournament, 
Maybe some will be able to sort of elevate and be like, you know what, I'm about the job, I'm getting it done. But I have to believe there will be at least a few that as soon as things go wrong or feel like they're going wrong in the oh, same yeah. way are going to kind of roll the eyes and be like, oh, here we go. This is what we wanted. And I think anytime you have that level of disharmony, dissatisfaction, disquiet in the locker room, it, it just breeds a, a negative atmosphere that's difficult to overcome in a competition where everybody has to be kind of pulling in the same direction to get the results you need. Yeah, in a sense, I the journalist in me kind of wants Spain to fail at this World Cup because if that happens, I am certain we're going to get the real story yeah. as as to what's happened yep. because I think the players will throw Vilda under the bus fully this time. They'll probably do it publicly um, rather than doing it behind closed doors because that will be the only way that they, they'll feel change can actually happen. They tried this first method, nothing, nothing changed. They're heading into another tournament with Jorge Vilda. So if this goes badly, we will get the real story. And I... And I want to know what the real story is there's a, there's a yeah. public interest given everything that we speak about with women's football depressingly at the moment with stuff that's happened in the nwsl with certain question marks to hang over other national federations i do feel it's it's in the public interest to mm -hmm. fully know what's happened here yeah and i think it will be a dominant story throughout this world cup do they sort of rise to the occasion and achieve that next level or does it sort of implode, uh, as we've seen France do on occasion? Uh, I think that's going to be one to keep an eye on and probably why we spent the first 15 minutes of the show talking about Spain. Joe, let's do one more uh, team in this group, and then let's take a break. Tell me about Zambia, their nickname, your nickname, and their story so far. Guys, I'm so excited about Zambia. Of really? all the teams that I previewed so far, and, and yeah, even I, I've started a little bit into my Group D team, like Zambia is my favorite by the widest of wide margins. I'm not sure they're going to do the best of all the teams that I've previewed, but man, I think they could get some really, really exciting moments and get some folks on their side in this competition. Their nickname, a strong start right off the bat, the Copper Queens. So apparently wow. Zambia is the world's eighth largest producer of copper. That's the only tie I could find for why they would be called <laughs> the Copper Queens. Uh, I, I'll admit my knowledge of Zambia and, and a lot of... Uh, countries that are uh, far away from the United States is relatively low, but I guess a lot of coppers coming out of Zambia, eighth, hence eighth the copper queens. Me, eighth to me doesn't seem no like no, high enough to brag enough. about. It's it. not that no. <laughs> um, but I think we all have to admit it is a tight nickname to the point where I didn't really want to give them a TSS nickname, but obviously I did anyway. My all TSS nickname. Ahead, Sorry, Joe. All I can think of now is, is Borat and like Kazakhstan being the potassium queens or something. But uh, yes, yes, Zambia, the Copper Queens. If nothing else, it just sounds good. So let's keep rolling with it. It, it does sound good. I, I decided to go with another item on the periodic table. Um, that that was my decision for Zambia, and I'll explain why. So I'm giving them the nickname the Florovium Queens. Now, what nerd, you ask is nerd Florovium. Alert, nerd alert. Um, <laughs> It, I don't know what, dude, this was all internet research. This was like two clicks deep on Google. Joe, your brain went to the periodic table. You cannot deny the nerdiness of the immediate uh, okay, thought Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, apparently, fluorovium is the most volatile metal in the periodic table. Whoa, we're all okay, learning now, things now, today. Now TSS has gone educational. So the idea with Zambia being that, man, and I'll talk more about this, plenty more about this later, their attack is genuinely elite at the World Cup level. The rest of their team is not. And so we're going to see a lot of volatile performances, a lot of volatile games, some crazy end-to-end -end action. I think in terms of pure entertainment, Zambia is going to be right up there with like the top four or five teams in the world, the U.S., France, England, Spain, Germany. I think they're going to provide a show for folks watching. So that's the TSS nickname, the Florovium Queens. How they got here, 
They made it to the semifinals of the Africa Cup of Nations last summer by beating Senegal in the quarterfinals. That was enough to get them to this World Cup. They ended up finishing third in that tournament by beating Nigeria 1-0 in that third fourth place playoff game. So they, they did well in that competition, dropped to South Africa in the semifinals, and that's what put them into that third and fourth place game. Still, this is their first World Cup. Like This is the biggest story for Zambia right now. This is their first World Cup. They're the first landlocked African nation to qualify for a men's or a women's senior World Cup. I'll say that one more time. They're the first landlocked African nation to qualify for the men's or women's senior World Cup. That's cool. Like, that's incredibly cool for Zambia. Not just the first uh, time that Zambia's women's team has ever made it here. The men's team has never made it either, right? They're doing something that is absolutely unique in Africa. Taylor's giving the face that I had when I read this stat and then went to look at the map. You blew my mind a little bit. Like, you look at the coast of Africa, and it's all these teams that you know. And, And you can picture both their flag because we played FIFA, and you can picture, like, some players from those countries. And then you get to Zambia and a lot of the other landlocked African countries and they, they haven't really been at this level. So that is something truly special for the Zambia team. They were at the Olympics in 2021, had a respectable 1-0 loss to Brazil. Then they lost 10-3 to the Netherlands, which is which was brutal. And again, sort of speaks to the volatility, I think, with a, a certain key player back that we'll talk more about later and some of the other talent in this team. I think they'll be a lot more difficult of an out than folks think. I think they have a real chance even at a a larger tournament than the Olympics to at least get out of the group. It's going to be an uphill battle for them, certainly. They're not respected in either the FIFA rankings or the ELO ratings. So maybe I've got sort of previewer syndrome here with some of my optimism about Zambia. They're 77th in the FIFA rankings, 77th, and then 60th in the ELO ratings. So... They're not the best team coming into this competition, but at least if you're looking for entertainment, I think we will all find it with Zambia. I didn't realize how few countries are actually landlocked in Africa. Now looking at the map, hey, like, hey, oh, don't don't no, do this, Taylor. I mean, it's still a lot though. For like Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, Chad, South Sudan, DRC, Zambia, Zimbabwe, there is Botswana, a lot of coast. Lesotho. There is a lot yeah. of coast. Yeah, but, yeah, just, but like. <laughs> At the same time, like I, for some reason, I thought Togo was as well, and they're not. So, Joe, that's a fascinating stat. Get it together, Chad. We need you at a World Cup, Chad. Uh, but, okay, Joe, I'm excited you're about Zambia. Your excitement makes me excited. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and then see if we continue that enthusiasm when it comes to Costa Rica. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. 
And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back. We continue to preview Group C at the Women's World Cup this summer. Graham, tell us about Costa Rica, if you would. So Costa Rica, they go by the nickname Las Ticas. Uh, that makes sense, given the men's team is known as Los Ticos, which I'm sure sure Check listeners out. will know. Being a, a, a fellow CONCACAF nation, Tico, of course, being the name for someone from Costa Rica. As for a TSS unofficial nickname, how about CONCACAF's third force question mark? Uh, <laughs> Mexico aren't at this World Cup and Costa Rica seem to be getting stronger. They made the semifinals of the W Championship. This is their second World Cup in three attempts. So the chance is there for them to become the third force in, in the region. Whether they can make that stick, uh, I'm not so sure, but... They Costa Rica got to this tournament through the the W Championship that I just mentioned that was played last year. They made a run to the semifinals when they were ultimately beaten by the US. And the way the W Championship works, all four semifinalists qualify for the World Cup the following year. So that is how Costa Rica got to this tournament. Um, this will be their first appearance. While I said they've qualified uh, for two of the last three World Cups, they've not been at a World Cup since 2015. So that's a gap of eight years. They didn't qualify for the last tournament in 2019. Um, um, this that is I say the they've qualified uh, for two of the last three. Those are their only two appearances at a women's World Cup, so they don't have a huge amount of pedigree at this sort of level in the women's game. Uh, they drew two and lost one of their three fixtures in 2015 and went out in the group stage. So the task for them in 2023 is pretty clear: win a match and then see where they can go from there in this group. That will be easier said than done because Costa Rica start with games against Spain and Japan before getting to that more winnable game as much as Joe's excited about them against Zambia in, in the final fixture. And Costa Rica haven't been in the best of form recently. You actually have to go back 11 games to that W Championship campaign last summer for the last match that Costa Rica won. This seems to be a, a, a common theme in a lot of our previews is all these teams being mm -hmm. in terrible form ahead of this tournament, which my, then, my question is then, Who's winning these friendlies? If someone's got to be winning them, if all these teams are Scotland? losing, so, feels yeah, like Scotland. Scotland. Yeah, yeah, Philippines and who was the other team we beat? Australia, I can't quite remember. But um, yeah, Costa Rica not in the best of form, but there is a, an opportunity here for them to punch above their weight. Here we are. Uh, well, uh, my team, Japan, would be one that is having that same erratic form. I would say there are. Differences, there's like a divide there because some of the teams I've looked at are playing weaker opponents and not winning. And then some teams like Japan have had a rough go into this World Cup, but that's because they're playing Brazil, USA, Canada, Denmark. Uh, they beat Portugal, so that's good. Uh, but for Japan, they are nicknamed Nadashiko Japan, which uh, translates to or is a Japanese term meaning the personification of, of an idealized Japanese woman, the epitome of pure feminine beauty. I don't need that. I don't need that with this team. We're not talking about feminine beauty. We're talking about a Japan team that I think is going to make a big run. I'm calling them the new familiars, and I will explain more that just as to why that's sick. the name. That I just like it. sounds so sick, Taylor. 
Thank you, my friend. Sounds I think like they're a awesome. Marvel series. Ooh, I'll it take that. Does. It, it was either that or a new wave band. I feel like that's also an 80s new wave band. Yeah. Um, and I'll, this will be kind of like uh, a feature of their entire preview, uh, why they're nicknamed this. But a lot of it has to do with basically this is a young or younger team who have all played together. or A lot of them have played together for a very long time. Uh, how they got here was by topping their group in the 2022 AFC Women's Asian Cup. They did so ahead of South Korea, who then went on to make it to the final where they lost to China. China is the country that eliminated Japan in the semifinals, but because of the way qualifying works, the top four teams go to the Women's World Cup automatically. Uh, so that would be why Japan were able to make it despite that loss in the semifinals on penalties. But this is a team that only has one player over the age of 30. Most are 26 years uh, of age or younger, which is different than a lot of the J Japan teams we've seen of the past. And this does feel like a different team than those teams of 2011, 2015, uh, when, they won the, when they won the final, when they made the final. I think there's only one player returning from the 2015 team. So they have moved on, which is somewhat controversial. But then you have 14 of the 23 playing in the Japanese League, four for Enoch Kobe Leonesa, three for Tokyo Verde Beleza, and four for Urawa Reds. So you've got a lot of consistency in the team from the domestic side, a lot of those players playing together and then playing in similar position groups. And then a lot of these players have played together since youth levels, U17, U19, U20. And we'll talk about how that factors into their coach and their tactics in a little bit. But it's basically younger players, new faces, who I think are going to have some breakthrough stars in this tournament or in the very near future are going to be uh, stars themselves, uh, but all of whom have been together for a good long while. So they are familiar to each other and will soon be familiar to us. So they are the new familiars. That's what I've gone with for Japan. And on that note, we have gotten our first segment done. We're only half an hour in. We're doing great, guys. Uh, Graham, can you please tell us about Spain, their coach who's not at all controversial and is totally doing well, as well as the tactics they're likely to employ? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, Jorge Vilda is the Spain manager for this World Cup. Um, that is somewhat surprising given everything that I just mentioned earlier and referenced and outlined. Uh, this will be his second World Cup in charge of Spain. He has been in charge since 2015. His dad was actually a fitness coach at Barcelona under Johan Cruyff. So that's fairly interesting, I guess. He, Vilda uh, Jr., uh, coached a number of the Spanish women's youth teams before eventually getting the top job. And the pressure is really on Vilda now because of the talent within the Spain squad. The, the Euros were a disappointment. They only made it to the quarterfinals, as I mentioned earlier. And for this World Cup, Spain are expected to be among the front runners, even though... I don't know if the circumstances are going to be right for them. In terms of the formation, Vilda usually sets up his team in a 4-3-3 with a, a very deep-lying central midfielder. So you might see it as almost a 4-1-2-3 at times. There are some times when he's used a back three. So that is an option for Spain at this tournament. But the back four appears to be the default option for them. Looking at Spain's approach in general... I'm not going to say anything shocking here. They're Spain. They like to have the ball. They're very technically able. They play positionally. And there's a very good awareness of, of space and what each player's role is within that space. And going through some of Spain's numbers, it's clear that they're a, time, a team excuse me, that likes to use uh, that pet possession to attack. And that is maybe where the biggest difference is between the men's and the women's team. I kind of referenced 
that common identity, what Spanish football stands for. Their national teams are always possession-based. You can expect that. But the men's team under Luis Enrique, they often struggle to get into the penalty box with the ball. That was their big failing. This team, however, doesn't really have that, that issue. So for things like touches in the penalty area per 90 and shots per 90 and general attacking stats, Spain are you know, right up there in the 90th percentile of, of, of above or above of teams at this tournament. In the build-up, they will, they will use their back four to, to, to start attacks. Everyone is comfortable on the ball. They push the fullbacks wide to, to stretch the pitch. And then you have the midfield three who are all very comfortable to take the ball and act as valves and playing the, the ball forward. They like to drop into space to receive the ball. The midfield is almost always in a triangle sort of space. That the, the, the midfield three is always in that shape to provide the angles that, that Spain needs to play through and no matter who plays in there and this is quite an impressive thing about Spain in the matches that I watched they ha- and, and they have a number of different options while there is a first choice midfield that I will, I will detail a little bit later on they do have a number of options to rotate into that midfield but no, no matter who's playing in it everyone knows to keep that structure in place that triangle is always in place in the center of the of, of the pitch a lot of Spain's opportunities come from crosses into the area and that is another difference between the men's and, and the women's team. Um, so they will funnel possession into the wide areas and from there they'll either look to cut inside and look for runners in the half spaces or they will get it into the mixer. So watching Spain at this tournament, there will be at least something for David Moyes to enjoy from them. Mm. They like to get it in the middle, but there's a lot of very spanish stuff going on about the way that they play their their game it's, it's pretty archetypal spain at this point yeah can i can i ask a question about that graham i appreciate you breaking that down and even some of the differences between you know both sides of the spanish national teams do you think it's going to be a problem that everybody knows exactly how to deal with spain like everybody knows what spain bring to the table there's some of the nuances there that you mentioned but the obvious strategy to stop spain is a low block like it's what we see you know, twice every four years at these World Cups with the men's and women's team. And when it's the men's team, I think we tend to be pretty critical of their style. Are there going to be these obvious weak points in how this women's team approaches games and how you know obvious it would be for teams to defend against them? Well, I think the, the weak point potentially is exactly what happened at the Euros last summer, which is what you kind of talk about there, Joe, in reference that playing a low defensive block and closing up the gaps and not allowing them space to get in behind is the way to stop them. I'm kind of skipping ahead to my key player section here, but there's one big difference in personnel between last okay. the last summer's team yeah. and this summer's team, and that's Esser Gonzalez, who is much more of a, a sort of orthodox, out-and-out, number-nine striker, who previously, when Spain were playing those crosses into the middle... They were often playing uh, a, a false nine. Jennifer Hermoso, I think, was injured for the Euros last summer, so she wasn't um, playing as the number nine. They experimented with a number of different options in that number nine space. Esther Gonzalez, I remember tearing my hair out that she didn't start more games for Spain or didn't start any games for Spain at the Euros last summer. She is now expected to, to be a starter at this tournament, and she is much more likely to get on the end of a cross or feed off the scraps of a cross into the middle. So... Personnel-wise, I think there's a little bit more pragmatism to Spain at, at this tournament, which is certainly something the men's tur- tur- uh, team could have used at the at the Qatar World Cup. So that is a big difference. Even if the low defensive block works in terms of denying Spain the space, those crosses, I think they're more likely to make something of those crosses. All right, so we have our Spain tactical preview in the books. Joe, tell us about Zambia, if you would. 
All right, so Zambia's coach, his name is Bruce Mwape, 63-year-old Zambian manager. He was appointed in 2018. Before that, had coached in Zambia yeah, at the club level. Certainly seems to be excited about this opportunity and, and proud to be the one helping Zambia get to a World Cup. He said, we're the first to qualify. Even Zambia's men's team has never made it to the World Cup, so it feels good because we are actually writing history. This is all history in the making. I'm sure that when the time comes for me to leave, people will at least know that I did something good by taking this team to the World Cup. That's something special to me. Now, it is shockingly difficult to find almost any other information about Bruce Mwape on the internet. Believe me, I tried. There was a video that I watched of him announcing the World Cup squad, just name after name in a random room. Uh, I'll admit I didn't watch the whole thing because I'd read no? the squad somewhere else. But you sure? Uh, information is not exactly flowing about Bruce. Still, we have a really good idea of, of tactically how this team plays under Mwape. So they played a number of friendlies recently, mixed results, but no, not terrible results either. They drew, excuse me, they beat Tanzania 1-0 back on June 11th. They lost 3-2 to Ireland. So that's a team that we talked about as maybe having the potential to to make a little bit of a run or to get out of Group B. Uh, just a 3-2 loss in that game. So I think that helps to show a little bit of what they can do. That was back on June 22nd. And then they had a 3-3 draw with Switzerland. I think the favorites to get out of Group A alongside Norway. That was on June 30th. So that's a little bit of, of what they've done recently in terms of the tactical side of things. Really, the common thread for this team is to use a 4-3-3. They, they might shift later on in games to go to a 4-4-2 and move one of those number eights up into the front line. But really, the default approach, again, this was true. This is true against Ireland. This was true in the Switzerland game, was to start in a 4-3-3 with a single pivot with two kind of free number eights, although one has maybe more license to push forward and, and to kind of dictate the game. Almost more of a number 10, but positionally, it's not really that. This team plays in this 4-3-3 shape because they have ridiculous attacking talent. Like, they are not exactly keen to just defend in a low block and attack on the break, although they can do that. They can attack in transition. They're very, very good at it. But they want to spread the field and really go at individual defenders. Like, they want, they, they bet on their attacking quality to give them an advantage over basically any team in the world. Maybe that wavers a little bit when they're playing a team like Spain, but the other teams in this group, I don't think Zambia is going to back down. I think we're going to see that 4-3-3 shape. They are super direct with their wingers and their number nine, lots of runs in behind the back line. Basically everybody else outside of one of the midfielders that I'll, I'll get onto in a minute, basically everybody else responds to the movement of those players. So the right wing Player goes forward and wide, while the right back is going to stay a little bit deeper and a little bit narrower. The left winger tucks inside. The left back knows that it's it's her responsibility then and go and overlap. The midfield, the number six, knows that you know, I'm going to have to cover a ton of space in behind. That can be a problem for the Zambia team, though. For as aggressive and talented as their attack is, crazy fun, like maybe top five, top ten at this World Cup. Like When they go, they go full throttle, which is fun, but the downside is you know, they can be scored on by anyone like they're crazy open in midfield they're not especially good personnel wise as you move back line by line like the attack is fantastic the attacking midfielders have quality the number six is is okay from what I've watched you get into the back line and you start to have a little bit more problems they're just so open that it makes life even more difficult for those players a lot of them play domestically in Zambia like they were up 3-1 in that game against Switzerland that was their most yep. recent game and then they come back to lose 3-3. So the yep. fullback 
on the right side, super isolated on the first goal. The, the front line isn't tracking back because they've just gone forward on a transition attack, and they're like rearing to go. And when they turn the ball over in transition, Switzerland moved too quickly for them. They overload the, the left side. It would be of Zambia's back line. Then switch it over kind of just to the middle. And Zambia don't have the numbers in that space to deal with that moment. The defensive midfielder is getting overloaded. You know, they don't deal with balls in the box very well. You know, all of these kind of challenges start to show themselves. It's a real trade-off. And, and one that I am, I'm not like entirely sure is going to work out. But the individual talent is set up to thrive, at least on the attacking side. It just puts a boatload of pressure on everybody else. That's the balance of the Zambia team, and that's why I think they're going to be so volatile and maybe so impressive in one game and so dire in the next. Uh, Joe, I watched that that Switzerland-Zambia game yeah. as well, so co-sign on everything you said there. Uh, though I will say, and I think you were correct in the end, this is one of the more confusing sentences I've heard you say. They were up 3-1 to one against Switzerland, then they came back to lose 3-3. Yeah. is an interesting way to phrase all of those things, and yet I think uh, is very accurate. But I, too, saw Zambia capable of tearing apart defenses and really capitalizing on just minor lapses when, when the Swiss would overcommit numbers and Zambia won the ball back. There was that directness that you talked about where they can attack, but then I also saw them be very patient and move the ball quickly and have a lot of off the ball movement to yeah. throw off defenders. Yeah. That worked that worked pretty effectively. Uh, my final question for you then, uh, a a knowledge that I already had and didn't at all Google, uh, Fluorovium has a half-life of 1.9 seconds. Is that how swiftly we should be expecting Zambia to counterattack? Or is <laughs> I mean, it more of the 19 seconds that might also be the half-life? No, no, no. 1.9 is, is okay. definitely the way to cool. go there, Taylor. Yeah, I had that fact. I was going to get to it later. Um, I but I appreciate you bringing it up. Well, the one last note that I have on Zambia, like you're talking about that game against Switzerland, Taylor, and how aggressive this group is. Like, they are so dynamic in those moments. I, I think these players, like, a lot of the key players that I'm going to get to in just a moment are going to come out of this tournament as, like, genuine household names. Like, that's how optimistic I am about what this team can do in the attack. I just don't know that the bet of them always controlling games defensively will work out. But, man, this team has so much potential. They're like, it's like the U.S. men's national team we talked about recently, Taylor. I think you and I. If you if you take away the red, mm -hmm. white, and blue jerseys and just put like a random generic Walmart kit on them, and you have a soccer fan tune in to watch, like it's gonna does, be fun. Does, does, Ni does Nike not already do that? I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Like that was good. That, that was, was good, Taylor. Strange. I liked it. Like a generic soccer fan is going to like watching that team. Like they're going to enjoy the product. The same goes for this this Zambia team, maybe in a slightly different way. But if you like forget who these players are and forget what country and forget the tournament, all this stuff, and you turn on a Zambia game and you like soccer, you're going to have a good time. And I love that. Joe, I don't enjoy watching any team in a generic kit. That's just not. There it is. Graham, Zambia in this fictional reality then is not for you. Uh, okay. We'll find out if Costa Rica is for Graham. Let's take one more break, then we'll come back to talk about Lasticas. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify, who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Holland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Holland and Harry Kane can be Erling Holland and Harry Kane. But more to the point, not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammate. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin DeBarna. You've got to spread the ball around. You've got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want. Because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. That feels like a good stage to be at. Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate, you can be a a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, One more time, go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. We've talked about the coach and the tactics for Spain and Zambia. Graham, tell us about Costa Rica. So Amelia Valverde is the Costa Rica head coach for this World Cup. She will be one of the longest serving managers at this tournament, given that she has been in charge since uh, 2015. So actually both of my, my team's managers for this group been in charge for quite a long time. The most notable thing about that with Valverde is she's only 36, so she's been in charge of the national team since the, since the age of 28. And from what I have read about her, Valverde is very much the sort of manager to put an arm around a player rather than berate them. She likes to be part of the group and that when she took this this job, she was young enough to, to be a player. 
And so rather than being some kind of distant dictator, I, I think her age probably helps her in, in, in this regard in creating a connection with her players. So that is one thing to note about this Costa Rica team. All the everything, all the interviews, the previews, everything that I've read suggests this is a very tight-knit group and that will be something that benefits them at, at, in, a, in a tournament setting. Uh, tactically, Costa Rica are the most unpredictable team I've looked at so far tactically in this tournament because Valverde does like to mix things up depending on the opponent and the situation and according to Scout, when I looked at Scout, they have played pretty much the same number of games in a 3-5-2 as a 4-2-3-1 so that sort of fluidity makes this analysis a little bit trickier I'm not entirely sure what to expect whether it'll be a back four or or, or a back three um, however it does I would err on the side of it being a back three against higher higher caliber op- opponents like Spain and Japan. So that is the framework that I'm going to use for for this kind of analysis. Um, in possession, Costa Rica aren't the most pro- prolific when it comes to creating chances. They're not the sort of team that's going to pass through you and and make use of the ball in that way. When they try to play it from the back, they do push the wing backs really wide and try and find them as often as possible and get forward that way. On the defensive side, the wing backs are pushed back and it becomes a back five with the idea that they will plug any gaps. So sometimes with teams that play wing backs, they are essentially wingers. They don't drop them back. That is not the case with Costa Rica. That is a that is a, essentially a flat back four in, in a defensive phase. One of the things I spotted which will be a deficiency at this World Cup is a real lack of speed in the attacking areas. And this isn't ideal for a team that doesn't have the ability, as I've just mentioned, to to pass through opponents through the midfield because it means that when they do get into transition moments and with the wingbacks and funneling the play into the wide areas through those wingbacks, they are structurally designed to create transition moments, but they don't always make the most of them. And they could do with a little bit more um, speed and some of the stuff that Joe was talking about with Zambia and getting into the forward areas quickly. It feels like... Um, in terms of physical attributes, Costa Rica are lacking in that sense a little bit. On the defensive side of the ball, Costa Rica will press at times, actually. So even though sometimes it's a, it's a low block when they get pinned back inside their own half and they are comfortable being in that situation, they will push their line of engagement into the opposition half. There's often They will often make good use of a mid block and send the midfielders to press the any op- opponents playing out from the back and then kind of mop up runners behind that mid block. Um, so they do combine the two things quite well. They are combative. I think they will be difficult to play against in this tournament, at least in terms of their intensity, if not their their technical ability. But yeah, as I, as I said, I'm concerned about their ability to create and their lack of speed in transition. Is your feeling that they're playing for third in the group? Do you feel like there's a chance they could spring a surprise? <sighs> I struggle to see a big surprise yeah. of the three groups that we've done so far. For me, this is the the, the first one where I felt there's a yeah. a clear kind of divide between the top two and the bottom two. Now, maybe Costa Rica spring a surprise, but um, they will be competitive, but I, I'm not picking them as one of my top two. Let's put it that way. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, let's talk about Japan, uh, coached by Futoshi Ikeda, 52 years old. Uh, and I am very excited about him. Uh, his first managerial gig was with the senior team of Ivispa Fukuoka. Uh, part of the reason why I'm excited is because Fukuoka is where my mom was born. So there we go. We're Whoa. starting off on a good note. Ooh. 
Uh, yeah, a random one, I know. Uh, he was hired there in October of 2012, and then depending on which source you're reading, he was there for either three months as interim manager or three years. Uh, which is a little bit like George Costanza when he's fired and then uh, his resume says he worked at a place for four days and he corrects it to 14 days. I'm not sure which <laughs> of those is the truth, uh, but I would say that with Andicata moving to the Japanese national team setup is what you really need to focus on because he takes over different youth teams starting in 2017 uh, through 2021. He wins the 2017 U19 AFC Women's Championship, lost on penalties in the quarterfinals of the 2018 U17 World Cup, and then, most notably, uh, he wins the 2018 U20 World Cup with Japan, uh, and it is shortly thereafter in 2021 that he takes over the senior uh, women's national team. But seven of the 23 players who are in this roster we're at that U20 World Cup with him. Uh, and then four of those that won the AFC Championship in 2019 are on this roster. So that's where some of that sort of consistency and familiarity comes from. And then it's also in those four who've been there since 2019, it is very talented players who've won things at youth level consistently. And so there are some surprises with in terms of his omissions and players left off. And Equally so, there are surprises with who he is starting because there are teenagers who I think are going to start for this Japan team at the World Cup. But it's because they've been under Ikeda for a good long while. They know how he wants to play. He knows them and how they want to play. And so it puts them into a situation where I think there's a lot of familiarity and therefore a lot of consistency that pertains to their lineups as well and their formation. They have played a back four at times, though most recently I think that was when they got blitzed 4-0 by England, so I doubt they're going to go with it again. They will almost certainly be in a back five slash a back three, and a good chunk of their team picks itself. Uh, Minami, uh, Kuma, Kumagai, and Miyaki will likely be their, their three center backs. Uh, Yamashita will be their goalkeeper. They've started almost every single game in the lead-up to this tournament. Uh, I'm veering into players. I will veer out of that now just to say that because of that back three, they can do a number of different things. They can be very defensive if they need to be, but they can also press and press in very particular moments. They're very big on pressing triggers, specifically in certain parts of the field where they feel like they have the, the right numbers in the right spots. Then they will launch that press and they're really effective. They're not high pressing. They're not running all over the place, but they will basically utilize the press really effectively uh, to win the ball back once they do. They are pretty multifaceted uh, from what I saw, and I should give credit to uh, the preview that David Goss pointed uh, our way. I will try to find it right here from Total Football Analysis. They have a great uh, free-to-download magazine that goes through every single team and gives you kind of detailed tactical previews for each one. So I did read that. Then I watched uh, footage, and the footage lined up with what they were talking about, which is basically that Japan can be good in possession and move the ball and sort of probe for vulnerabilities, usually against defensive bunkered teams, but they will also be direct on occasion and just sort of play the ball into the channels, play the ball into the single forward that I expect them to utilize and then play off of that player. They have a lot of technical ability on the ball, but they are also very well organized, uh, very good in knowing where they need to be and what those roles are so that if one player is out of position, her teammates oftentimes are filling in almost immediately, and it makes them difficult to break down, but also difficult to stop. Uh, so uh, I guess before I go further into them, I'll just say that I'm very excited about this Japanese team, if that weren't uh, already obvious. Yeah. And the final note I would say is that they're not 
going to be like physically battling for everything. They're not sort of pressing and, and fouling and pressing and, and leaving a, a stud imprint. But also from what I saw, they're not going to back down. And if it gets into a physical game, I think they are okay with it going that way. But they would much prefer it to be um, the ball moving, them in possession, them winning it back, and then basically just taking the game to their opponents. So that is my, uh, my major takeaways for Japan uh, in my research. Your your preview there, Taylor, has got me really excited about watching this Japanese team. Yep. Just because obviously they're they're a nation that has genuine pedigree at this at this level, but we haven't seen them at this yeah. level, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. for a little while. And so from everything you're saying there, this really does feel like the next generation. I think after so. that first like really successful legendary generation, this is the second wave. And yeah. so that's exciting. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like Ikeda, if it doesn't go well and they're knocked out in the group or if they're knocked out in the first round, I think he'll come under a lot of criticism. But it seems like he is just backing players that he has known for a while, either in the domestic league uh, or from those youth teams or just from being the coach for a, a couple years now. It just seems like he is okay with playing younger players, less experienced players, but players who fit what he wants to do. And so that could end him in some hot water, but it could also end in them making a, a, a pretty decent run in this tournament, and I would err more on the second one than the first. Uh, anything else about Japan? Any other thoughts? Not no. As, not as cool let's... as Zambia. Not as cool as Zambia. <laughs> <laughs> good, good to know how strongly you yeah, feel are, about Zambia, wait, uh, Joe. It makes me where happy. Where are they on the period, periodic table? Get off. Number they're not one, on baby. It. They're not even on it. <laughs> I, I am still reeling from you bringing chemistry into this, Joe. I thought peri- <laughs> the periodic table was a big five league. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that that made me laugh that yeah, hard. Uh, Graham, tell us about Spain's key players, if you would, and uh, notable omissions, if any. Okay, so where to begin with the key players with Spain? Uh, oh, they are they good? Stacks, Do they have any? Yeah. Do they? They've got stacks of world-class players, but I'm going to be- begin with one that stands above the others. This will be of no surprise to listeners, but Alexia P- Patelas, who I've already mentioned. For many, she is the best player in the world at the moment. She's won the Ballon d'Or in each of the last two years. She's a star for that Barcelona team that I talked about earlier. Now, Patelas was expected to be one of the stars of the Euros last year's last year excuse me but as listeners will remember she suffered an acl injury the day before the start of the tournament um and then also there was the rebellion against vilda so pateas has only played her first match for spain in a year last month so she's not been in this program for a while both due to injury and that rebellion so there is a sense that for all that pateas is undoubtedly one of the best players in the world in 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 the club game she is still, and obviously it's not fully on her, given that there are other things going on with Spain, but she as an individual has still to truly make her mark at a major international tournament. So that is obviously a big motivation for her. She didn't start the Champions League final last month. I can only presume due to her maybe not having match sharpness and match fitness. So maybe that is a question mark above her ahead of this tournament. She, If she is fit, she'll be part of that midfield unit. And alongside Pateras in that midfield unit will be Aitana Bonmati, who is another world-class player. 
uh, another very important player for Spain. She is one of the players who helps Spain build attacks from midfield, um, but she's also someone who helps break down opposition moves. She is the kind of archetypal Spanish midfielder in the way that she has intensity of possession um, to then engage with opposition players and win the ball back, and then also technical ability to do something with it once she has it. So even if she sometimes will pass the ball on to maybe more attack-minded players who can do something. Although Bonmati has an eye for goal herself, um, she, sometimes she'll take a couple strides forward and pass it on to Alexis Patelis or feed it out wide to some of the players that I'll come on to detail later on. She is a crucial cog of this Spanish team. Um, then there's Teresa Abalera, who will be the anchor in behind Bonmati and Patelis if Patelis is, is, is fit and has much sharpness. I mentioned Esther Gonzalez to Joe earlier. That is one thing that has changed since the Euros last year is the standing of Esther Gonzalez and the place that she sits in the pecking order for Spain as the number nine. I personally remember writing about how Gonzalez should have featured more for Spain last summer in the Euros. It very much felt like the system was built to get the best out of her as an out-and-out number nine. She plays for Real Madrid. Her game is all about trying to get in behind and providing an option away from the defenders while still staying central. If you look at her heat maps, which I did, she doesn't tend to drift out wide. Sometimes she'll drop in a little bit deeper, but she doesn't go out to the wide area. She stays in central areas and she likes to get on the end of crosses, which is good news for Spain, who, as I mentioned earlier, they play a lot of crosses. Um, finally, one other player that I'm going to spotlight, although you could go through the entire team highlighting everyone with Spain, uh, but my final key player is Athenia del Castillo. So she will be playing on the left side of the attacking three with Alba Redondo on the other side and then Esther Gonzalez in the middle, most likely. Um, but Del Castillo, she strikes me as a very well-rounded player. She also plays for Real Madrid, so there's an existing relationship with Gonzalez at the number nine. She is a very good dribbler, um, very good with her, her, her movements, quite um, assertive, if that's the right word, with her movements. Basically, when she makes a, a move, it, is, it usually counts for something. It's usually consequential. She likes to get a shot away, so she also carries a goal threat as, as well. And another reason that Vilda likes her, despite there maybe being more experienced options in the squad, Del Castillo is only 22 years old, but she offers a lot on the defensive side of the ball. So she will get back and she will help out with her fullback. Um, she'll close down. She'll get snapped back into the into the defensive shape. So she is sort of perfect for the Spain team. In terms of missing players, uh, Sheila Garcia isn't included in this squad due to injury, although on a battle um, likely would have started at right back anyway. Uh, Elaine Lett, Yana Fernandez, uh, Benitez, Oros, Gabaro, and Marta Cardona, they were all included in the provisional squad as well, but they failed to make the final cut. So it is a strong squad, a very strong squad, one of the strongest squads at this World Cup, despite everything that has happened over the over the uh, the last 12 months and despite everything that has happened, some of the stars, individual stars at least, of this World Cup could be from the Spain team. All right, so we've got a strong Spain team. Joe, do we have a maybe not quite as strong Zambia team, but a still strong one? Yeah, that's exactly what we have with Zambia. Hey. So I'll run through some key players here. I've got four Three of them are in the attack, and three of them scored in the most recent game against Switzerland, that 3-3 draw that we've referenced a couple of times. The first one, the captain, Barbara Banda. 
23 years old, plays in China. I'm curious if either of you guys remember this name, and I think some listeners will remember the name. Uh, she's been the top. We're both scorer. shaking our heads. Okay, by the way, fair. <laughs> she's she's been the top scorer in China before. Had a bunch of goals for Zambia. Became the first player to score two hat tricks the Olympics. That was back in 2021. Like she's absolutely phenomenal in the Olympics. She scored three against China and three against the Netherlands in that 10-3 loss. All of the goals were hers. Uh, she's got a fantastic right foot. Like whatever you're thinking, it's better than that. Uh, she's incredibly skilled with it. Can stretch the back line. Really hard to stop, extremely athletic, find space in the box very well. Just this super well-rounded, capable striker. So, so good, but was not allowed to play at AFCON due to testosterone levels that were deemed to be above what's allowed by CAF. And this is the this was a big story surrounding Barbara Banda. Basically, CAF governs the amount of naturally occurring testosterone in female players. It's limited to certain levels by them and FIFA does something similar as far as my research goes with players who are over those levels they have to reduce them before they can be passed as eligible to play so it is this very strange and kind of crappy gross world of of testing that kind of goes on here like really really unsettling as I was doing my research and learning more about this process it was a, a totally crappy situation for Banda that I, I don't think I'm fully qualified to speak on. Like, there's a lot more depth to this situation. So many more details and history about this concept that people can read about and probably should read about. Uh, she wasn't allowed to play. And the reality is that sucked and it, it has, this kind of thing has ruined careers for some of these women's players before. And it's incredible that she's back and is allowed to play at this tournament and is doing her thing because she is absolutely unreal to watch. I am stoked that she's going to be back in this team. She will be the number nine, and I think she's going to have a fantastic tournament. So that's Barbara Banda. Again, just 23 years old and the captain has already done so much. Basically, from everything I've read, both the manager and, and her teammates have nothing but positive things to say about her and her influence on the team, her personality, all of these things. So that's that's a beat on Banda. Another player that we'll get to watch in the attack, another 23-year-old forward, Rachel Kundananji. Finished with 25 goals for Madrid CFF this past year. It's not Real Madrid, but another club in Liga F. The second most goals in Spain's top flight. Like, she is legit. She can play wide. It's kind of a wide forward. She's direct enough that I don't think winger is quite the right bit of terminology there. She can beat you 1v1 and, and kind of sauce you up that way, but you know, her nose is to go towards goal. Like, super skilled with both feet. Incredible left foot, incredible right foot. Can drive through you in the final third. Top speed is off the charts. Technical ability is strong. She is going to introduce herself to the world at this tournament. That's Rachel Kundananji, again, 23-year-old forward. Grace Chanda is another player. She plays more as, as one of those free eights that I mentioned in the 4-3-3. So you've got the defensive midfielder. That's the single pivot, kind of doing all the ranging side to side. More on that in a second. And then you've got the two number eights that kind of go up and down in a half spaces to join the attacking line. Chanda is the better of those two players. 26 years old can and has played both as that free eight or as a number 10 or as a winger. So she really likes to rotate into these different attacking positions and she kind of governs how Zambia attacks in different moments. She moved also to Madrid CFF in Liga F last summer. Again, that's the top division in Spain. She was a, a rotation player for them, but put up some super strong underlying numbers and can kind of do a little bit of everything, can score, can create, 
She scored in that game against Switzerland. Like, just is is a really strong option in that area of the field. You can play through her and be confident that she'll retain the ball and do something useful with it. So that's Grace Chanda. The last player that I want to highlight is Susan Banda. So basically, she is the number six. She has been. It's not always Banda in that spot, but whoever is in that role, and I do think there's a real chance that it is Susan Banda, whoever's in that number six kind of deep-lying midfield role is going to be busy. And, and I don't think that this Zambia team will be totally defined by that spot, but an elite performance from whoever's in that number six spot from Banda in there, like that takes Zambia's chances from winning any given game and elevates them, right? Because that player has so much defensive burden. They have so much burden to start those transition attacks, to cover ground, to win balls, to connect play cleanly because they don't have a lot of cover in there because of how forward-thinking Zambia are when they attack. So I've got my eyes on Susan Banda as well. And really, when we look at the lineups for when these games are actually underway, whoever are the other two midfielders behind or next to Grace Chanda in that 4-3-3, those players are going to be crucial to how Zambia progress throughout this tournament. All right, Joe, thank you for that. I am getting more and more stoked to watch some Zambia. Yes. I feel like it's going to be some trash talking Welcome. in the slack about Zambia. Uh, Zambia versus maybe Japan will be a feisty one. Yes. Uh, Graham, tell us about Costa Rica, please. So in terms of key players for Costa Rica, we have to start with Raquel Rocky Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. She plays for the Portland Thorns and is one of the most experienced players in the the Costa Rica squad. She is the top scorer in the squad with a very impressive 55 goals and 100 caps. And she's only 29. So that is a lot of international football that she has played in that time. She will play as part of the the midfield trio. She is an all-round central midfielder in that she has excellent technical ability she can pass she can shoot and she's just so influential for costa rica so i have to start there costa rica have the most quality in midfield of of the entire squad and their team and christian granados is uh, a, another very complete player in that unit she is strong in the build-up versatile can play out wide as well and um, so that's a possibility at this tournament has good vision good technique and she takes free kicks and corners as well so Granados, another key player for Costa Rica. Now, any subscribers to TSS Plus on the Patreon might have watched a video of me um, taking a stroll in the evening after that I had been researching Costa Rica, and I mentioned one name in particular. It's one of the best names in world football. That would be Priscilla Chinchilla, who plays for Glasgow City in Scotland, so someone that I was already familiar with uh, not just because she has an excellent name but because she's a very influential player for Glasgow City who are the Scotland Scottish champions and she will be a, a key part of the Costa Rican attack at this tournament she is an excellent dribbler she is a real goal threat as well 20 goals and 45 caps for Costa Rica so the idea is that you uh, you feed chinchilla uh, I don't know if you should do that on your on your on your walks feed any chinchillas not after uh, midnight never after not, midnight exactly yeah uh, so you feed the chinchillas and or for ch- chinchilla and see what she does she is a real difference maker for Costa Rica Caroline uh, Venegas will probably be chinchilla's strike partner in this team she's very good at playing with her back to goal so that works quite well as as, as a partnership and then in defense you have uh, Mar- Marina Benavides well she'll probably be the center of the back three for Costa Rica she plays for Saprissa in, in Costa Rica a very strong defensive presence is good in the air a good leader and Valverde will uh, will build around her so this is a squad with a good mix of youth and experience and players in their peak 
and there are honestly no real surprise omissions or injuries that I I could find, certainly. There's not a great deal of sort of English language coverage around uh, the Costa Rica team ahead of this tournament, so it's possible that I've missed something, but to my knowledge, there are no big omissions. So Costa Rica should be able to put their best foot forward at this tournament. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, I look forward to watching them. I look forward to talking about Japan, though, uh, because, Graham, many, many good players. Uh, two big omissions to start off, though. Mana Iwabuchi, 30 years old, 89 appearances, 37 goals, played at Spurs last season on loan from Arsenal. She will not be included. She has been in the squads, but hasn't really been playing. Uh, so not a huge surprise that she's left off, other than just that she is a very much a name uh, for the Japan women's team. Uh, and then Yuika Sugasawa, similarly, 32 years old, 84 appearances, 29 goals. So two big attacking options won't be there, but I think that's because, again, uh, we've seen Ikeda go with younger players with whom he has maybe more confidence. Uh, I don't have as much confidence in how I'm going to pronounce their names because I've learned that uh, Japanese is difficult. Starting with Rico Wiki is what I'm going to go with. U-E-K-I. I I, I looked up a bunch bunch of different pronunciations for this one. And... They were all sort of that like American person saying like, ooh, eeky. And I was like, that can't be right. Uh, but Wiki seems like maybe the most likely. She's a 23-year-old forward, uh, plays in Japan. Only 19 appearances, but of those 19, she scored eight goals. So that's not bad. I would expect her to be, sometimes Japan play with a front two. Uh, if they're playing in with one up top or maybe with a front three, my guess would be that Wiki is the one most likely to start. Uh, and she handles that really well can play back to goal, but mostly what I saw was her bringing the ball down or bringing or receiving direct passes and then taking it to the defenders and forcing them back, uh, not even trying to necessarily get by them, but just making the, the defenders drop off a little bit more. Sometimes she'll take them on 1v1, but oftentimes it's just carrying the ball 30 yards forward, waiting for her teammates to get involved, and then looking for passes. Can score, as I said, but just very good in isolation and in facilitating attacking play. She will likely be joined in that attack by Aoba Fujino. Uh, this is another pronunciation one. I would have said Fujino until I learned that apparently Japanese doesn't have an F. Instead, it's a huh sound. So Aoba Fujino, 19-year-old forward for Tokyo Verde Beleza. Uh, she has only been a professional for two seasons. She has nine caps for Japan, uh, but can play as an attacking midfielder, can play out wide, um, and as basically seem to over the last few months nailed down a starting spot wherever they're playing whatever their formation will be uh, but has the speed to transition into attack but also is a very disciplined player in how she comes back and marks the space to facilitate their defensive press Uh, so those are two on the attacking side in the midfield I'm guessing we'll see a a midfield duo with two right around them Uh, and I would Venture to guess that Yui Hasegawa will be one of the regular starters. She's a 26-year-old midfielder from Manchester City. Very good in distribution when transitioning into attacking play. I saw her split the lines multiple times, sometimes with kind of direct balls into the channels, sometimes with balls into feet for Wiki, sometimes just playing balls into space for, for other midfielders to run onto, but has really good vision and distribution, and then also very good at maintaining possession in the attack just sort of metronome and keeping the ball moving. Likely to play with a partner, where she, as she does with Man City. She's in a double pivot there. For Japan, I'm guessing it will be uh, Fuka Nagano, so Huka Nagano of Liverpool, likely likely to partner her. Maybe uh, Ina Sugita from Portland. 
either way, they're going to be very good. And then Saki uh, Kumagai is their captain. She's 32 years old. She is the most veteran player of this team, 134 appearances, only three goals. She plays for Bayern Munich, but she will captain uh, that defense. She will start at the heart of that defense, which has been very consistent when you add in the goalkeeper there. The three center backs and the goalkeeper have started almost every single game for the last year or so. So it's just a very consistent, very well-versed Japan team with a lot of talent in the ranks. Uh, Again, pretty excited to see what they bring to this World Cup. One final section for us, but before we get to that, Joe, one final comment from you about Japan. Yeah, and, and maybe I missed it there, Taylor. You did not mention mm-hmm. June Endo, correct? I yes, just want to make sure I, I didn't did double that. Okay, she's somebody that I've watched a lot of in the NWSL mm-hmm. this year with Angel City. I know she she's played in a lot of different spots, and so I'm not totally mm-hmm. sure where she's going to pop up for Japan. But I'll be shocked if we don't see at least some minutes for her in this tournament. You know, Japan has enough talent where it's not obvious that a player like Endo is just immediately their best player or anything along mm-hmm. those lines. But for folks that, that haven't watched a lot of Angel City, she can pop up in the fullback positions now and then. She can pop up as a number eight. She can pop up as a winger. She's so good on the ball, incredibly yeah. comfortable under pressure, like press resistant, can play forward in tight spots, connects play really well, has a nice burst, can can cover ground a little bit. Like, she is so versatile and so skilled when in possession. I think savvy with her off-ball movement as well. Just a real bright spot for Angel City, a club that that has not had much success at all this year, changed coaches recently over the last month. Like, they've needed bright spots. And from watching Endo, I believe 23, like, still on the younger side, Mm -hmm. I think she has a real chance to develop into one of the top players in all of the NWSL. And if Angel City sort of get their act together, she's going to be a big part of that happening. I think with Japan, we could see some real bright, bright spots from her as well this summer. Uh, Joe, I'm glad you you brought her up because uh, I can add to that. Uh, my guess would be that she will be starting at left wing back for okay. Japan. Uh, she it's either it's been either uh, Junendo or Ina Hina Sugita. Uh, both of whom are list- listed on the roster as midfielders. Yeah. So to yeah. your point, they're using that spot as a sort of uh, defensive, sort of, but also very much getting involved in the attack, very much getting involved in possession. Their counterpoint on the uh, the right wing back spot is li- likely Risa Shimizu, uh, who's listed as a defender, plays for West Ham, is a fullback. And I think mm-hmm. you can see that she will probably be staying home more often. And then Junenzo will likely be getting more involved in the attack. And I should add, Junendo is one of those players that was with the U19 champions and the U20 champions uh, under under uh, Ikeda. So t- another player with a lot of experience and a lot of familiarity. Uh, and Joe has added a lovely comment in the chat. Thank you for that, Joe. Uh, but yes, uh, she is one definitely to spotlight. So thank you, Mr. Lowry, for that and your comment in the chat. Happy Graham, <laughs> final section would be... Uh, you weren't expecting me to call that one out. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it. Uh, Graham, I'm going to need a specific prediction from you about Spain. So first of all, you've blown my mind, Taylor, with the whole you don't pronounce F in Japanese Apparently, chat. apparently. I mean, gra- big old grain of salt because, uh, yeah, I-, I would not claim to know much Japanese at all. So the reason that that blows my mind is the, I would say, the best player in Scottish men's football right now mm-hmm. is a Japanese player with F at the start of his surname, Kyogo Furuhashi, uh-huh. which means that everyone in Scotland for the last two to three years has been pronouncing his name incorrectly, I mean, and I'm sure that is not grating for him at all. That shouldn't so. surprise you, Graham. Come on now. Uh-huh. You guys do Martinez. You do all yeah. those. One- I mean, come on. That, that can't be a surprise to, uh, to however you say that, that guy's name. 
I watched one Atlanta United broadcast and realized we'd been saying Jack wrong all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, so in the same way, I think I think like R Y O. Like we, we had a Japanese exchange student stay with us once who was like like Ryo Suki, and then you actually pronounce it like Josuke. So just very quickly, I learned that I don't know how to pronounce anything in Japanese, and I'm probably butchering it. Uh, so I apologize to our Japanese-speaking listeners and for blowing Graham's mind at the same time. Yeah, you learn something new every day. Uh, my VSP, going back to that, my VSP for Spain is that they will score two or more goals in all three of their group games. So this is a team that scores goals. They put four past Norway in April, even when they lost to Australia earlier this year. They still scored twice in 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 that match. So, yeah, th- as I mentioned earlier, they they rank really highly for things like shots per ninety and final third passes and touches in the opposition box. So that's my VSP. I am counting on them bringing their shooting boots to this tournament. Ooh, I like that one. I like that one. Uh, Joe, have you got one for Zambia? I do. I love this one. I think this one might be my favorite VSP so far. Uh, no teams' games at this World Cup will have more goals per game in them than Zambia. So the idea here is we're going to see some fireworks. They're stacked on the attacking side. Not at all convinced about them as you move back further and further. They can punish mistakes from their opponents, and they can be punished themselves. Like In their last six games, Zambia, there have been a total of 28 goals. That is 28 goals in six games. That is not too shabby. Now, maybe this prediction gets thrown out because of an outlier and, and the fact that there is still a pretty big gap between the best of the best in the women's game in teams that are, are sort of experiencing the World Cup for the first time. But hey, Zambia is one of those teams that's experiencing this for the first time. They're not going to be on the end of these major ridiculous blowouts. I do think, though, that their games are going to have a lot of action. Nice. Uh, I like that one when it comes to my prediction. But before I can give you that one, uh, Graham, one for Costa Rica, if you please. Yep. So my Costa Rica VSP relates to my new favorite player, Priscilla Chinchilla. Um, who, as we covered earlier, will be one of their big goal threats. There is a very specific type of finish that she is excellent at. I've seen this a number of times from her for Glasgow City. I went and watched the tape for Costa Rica to see the areas that she gets into for the national team. She seems to do something very similar. And so what it is is the ball is rolled into her, usually just at the edge of the box, maybe just inside the box, maybe just outside the box. But the ball is rolled into her from one of the wings on the floor. She then opens up her right foot and curls it into the net. It's a very um, trademark chinchilla finish. So my VSP is that we'll see at least one of those uh, goals. Or, so there's it's kind of two-pronged here. We're either going to see her score one of those as a goal at this World Cup, or we'll see one of those efforts from chinchilla, whether she scores or not, in each of the matches that Costa Rica play at this World Cup. Is is Priscilla Chinchilla the greatest name that's ever featured in a World Cup? I'm real like it's impossible not to enjoy saying it. I'm gonna say it a million times. Now I want to watch Costa Rica just to get to cheer for Priscilla Chinchilla. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia shows me that she does not have a middle name, but I, I hope if she does, it rhymes with Priscilla and Chinchilla just to really bring it home. So I remember when she signed for Glasgow City, and obviously seeing that name, that was mm-hmm. initially what made her notable was how good a name that was. But then on top of that, she's actually like a really exciting and entertaining player to watch. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, fully uh, fledged chinchilla. How uh, there we go. how how does she feel about sarsaparilla? I'm trying to I'm trying to think of any another all words Priscilla, that rhyme. Sarsaparilla, chinchilla. That's good stuff, Joe. <laughs> I'm not Ryan Bailey, but I'm I'm trying over here, guys. <laughs> 
Mis- wow. mi- mispronounced Coachella. You could do oh, that. Oh, that's one, good. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you mispronounced torti- tortilla as well. There we go. We can keep going, or we could just bring this to a close by me giving you my prediction. Uh, I have got two. One is a like actual specific prediction, which is basically that uh, Rico Wiki, uh, the forward I mentioned, twenty three years old, is going to score at least three goals in this tournament. She scored. Five, six, I think, in the uh, qualifying tournament for this one. She can uh, score in bunches. She can get braces and hat tricks, but she seems to just score consistently. I think she only failed to score score in one of their five games. So uh, she is a very reliable goal scorer and I think is exceptionally good in this system. So she will get at least three goals. And my other very specific prediction is one that I have control over. I will forget I made this prediction, and it will come to fruition. I will mistake a Japan goal for being a counter when it was not, and Joe will likely point it out. That happens every now and then when there is that sort of rapid-fire transition-to-attack goal that I will say, like, yeah, scoring on the counter, and then Joe will very politely be like, yeah, actually, I don't think it was a counter. I think it was possession, but it was a really good goal, and I totally know why you think it would be a counterattack. We're going to get one of those because Japan... We'll keep possession, move the ball around the back and those three center backs out to the wing backs, keep it going, pull their opponent in, invite that pressure, and then we'll go long when that situation is on. And I think I'm going to remember one of those long balls over the top. Somebody runs on, brings it down, lays it off, and it's like an in-step pass into the goal. And I'm going to say, oh, they scored a lovely goal on the break, and Joe will have to correct me. So that would be very specific prediction number two. Joe, how are you feeling about that one? I I love that one because it does a really good job of describing both sometimes our dynamic, but also, like, that's the goal of possession teams is to create moments that look like counterattacks, right? Like, you ask Pep Guardiola how he'd like to get to goal, he'll say quickly. Like, he wants to build through the lines very quickly. All of these teams that are good at controlling the ball – like, love those moments where they can really break into space and go. The problem is, when opposing defense is set up well, it's really hard to do that stuff. So Japan, with their skill, with all the players you mentioned, if they can move the ball quickly and break lines and then get going downhill, we're totally going to see some sequences like that. Oh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. I still think this is going to be Spain and Japan in some order. But if if things implode for Spain, if things go poorly really quickly, I, I think we could see a Costa Rica surprise. We could see a Zambia surprise. It's a it's a group that on paper feels very divided, as Graham said. But then I think could be really exciting if things go a different way. So it's it is probably at this point the group that I am most excited to watch uh, in our of our three previews. No disrespect to groups A and B, but a little disrespect at the same time. <laughs> Certainly no disrespect to Graham Ruthven for previewing two teams in this one. Graham, thank you for doing double duty. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. I hope I did a decent job of doubling as myself, Ryan, and Gas all at once. I presume Gas got a passport to play for the Philippines national team. That's why he couldn't... Uh, yep. He couldn't do it today, so... <laughs> Ladybug style. Week, Ladybug style. Yes, sir. Joe Lowry, thank you for previewing the one team, but doing it exceptionally well. I just can't believe I went sarsaparilla over vanilla earlier. I feel like that was a real mistake. Ooh. I think this episode Somebody was good yelling. until then. Somebody <sighs> was yelling into their into their headset, yeah. It was just so Air obvious, Air and Airbus. I missed yeah. it. Um, but, but still, guys, this was fun. <laughs> That's a good note to end on, Joe. Thank you very much. Listeners, thank you all very much. We will be back next week with Group D. Uh, Until then, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you soon.